Hello, I'm Oliver Condit, the editor of BBC Music Magazine, and welcome to the BBC Music Podcast. You can buy a copy of the magazine at your local newsagents or download our app to your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet. And for the latest music news and more, head to our website at classical-music.com. This week, Rebecca Franks, the reviews editor, joins me in the studio to talk about the July issue's recording of the month, an amazing recording of Schubert's piano music performed by Andras Schiff on an 1820 Viennese piano manufactured by Franz Brodmann. So before we talk about this recording, let's hear an extract from this very special disc, the beginning of the Sonata in G, D894. I think this is where scholarship, um, research, musicianship and beauty sort of come together in a beautiful whole, don't you think? It's such a wonderful sound and unique sound, I think, that forte piano. Very subtle, very gentle, very mellow. You have to... It, it sort of demands that you stop and listen to it and slow down and sort of tune into the world to hear all the gradations of tone and, and dynamic. And it's very different experience to hearing uh, Schubert on a, a modern concert grand. It's they're worlds apart, Absolutely. both valid, but this is rather special. I mean, you can hear it in the in the crescendo in that very short extract. You know, the crescendo that that barely lifted above mezzo forte, um, and and, and the, the the sort of gradations are much more subtle, and your ears have to be that much more attuned, I think, to the differences in dynamics. Absolutely, and. I think it's interesting, actually, if you read the booklet notes for this disc, um, Andres Schiff writes about his um, confessions of a convert. Um, there's a very amusing comment where he sarcastically said in the 1918s, the time will come when we will be playing Schubert sonatas on graph forte pianos. And he didn't think that would ever happen. You know, he thought this whole period performance um, movement was not really worth pursuing, I think. And then he became converted after playing Mozart's um, Instrument, he found that as a life-changing experience, and I feel like it really opened his ears to what these instruments can offer. For this yes, music—it's a, it's a fascinating essay because he also talks about in the 1970s when people were starting out, you know, on the authentic journey, if you like, um, and playing this stuff on terrible instruments. You know, not well researched. Um, tempos were all awry. The acoustics were, you know, were wrong. Um, and people weren't used to this kind of stuff. And, and I think it put a lot of people off the authentic movement. But, but, but now, so much more work has been put into how one should play and where one should play. And how, and how to keep the instruments in good playing condition. You know, they're not museum pieces. They aren't there just to look at. If you want to play them, then they have to be taken care of. But there are museums and private collections. Um, and... As you say, the pianists now, uh, uh, there's a whole wealth of pianists who want to explore these, to play Debussy on, on the right instruments, to play Schubert, to play Beethoven. Um, 
there's Alexander Melnikov uses a forte piano for Beethoven, Andreas Steyer done Beethoven, Brahms, Schumann on original instruments, um, and Alexei Lubimov actually quite, did a Schubert Impromptu's disc, which is quite interesting point of comparison with this one actually, um, because they're completely different instruments, even yes, though absolutely. they're roughly the same era. Um, Lubomov uses he does two but the two sets of impromptus and he uses forte pianos from 1810 and 1830. Perhaps we could hear an extract from the second impromptu, the Allegretto, um, and hear it first on Andras Schiff's forte piano and then on Alexei Lubomov's, just to hear the different sound worlds that they have both explored. I think what what that goes to show is that the world of the piano is is so varied and we're so used to hearing Steinways, Steinway after Steinway after Steinway these days. And and back in the 19th century, the early to mid-19th century, um, one piano was not like another. I mean, you, you heard one piano and you heard the work in an entirely different light if you heard it on another on another make. And and there wasn't this sort of um uh ownership of a brand if you like there wasn't this desperate loyalty that people have to the to, to the to the main make you know you weren't you weren't expecting to hear a Steinway in a console it could be any it could be any make of piano I know because Steinways are obviously a, a wonderful piano and a wonderful brand but it, you do hear them everywhere and you know now okay now sometimes there are a few pianists especially in the UK using um the Italian Fazioli pianos um Angela Hewitt and uh, Boris Giltberg they, they do so you sort of they and Daniel Trifonov as well I think um but that's still a, a kind of rarity in the big concert halls. But then I suppose as well with these, um, with this particular instrument, it probably wouldn't transfer that well to a big concert hall because it's such an intimate, small instrument. And actually it sort of takes you back to the, the sort of the music it's, itself, to use that phrase, um, that this is not public music really. It can be because it's sort of transcendental in a way, but it's actually very private and very intimate music um, written late in Schubert's life. Um, and you need perhaps that spe- smaller space as well to to match the instrument. Mm. It's not I'm, just... I mean, certainly there's a plea by Andras Schiff for anybody performing this music to play, I mean, all piano students to play forte pianos and even clavichords, you know, because um, the technical technical challenges of these sonatas become entirely different. You know, the, he was talking about frantic chords within one of the sonatas becoming actually easier because the action is lighter and the keys are narrower and the, the whole, um, you know, it's like playing a, a violin with, with gut strings. You get an entirely different feel for the music, let and alone also, for the technical challenges. And also because it has these different pedals, so as well as the soft and sustaining pedal that you get on the modern grand, you could get, again, this is described in wonderful detail in the booklet notes, but a, a bassoon stop with a, it's a parchment and silk on a piece of wood pr- pressed against the bass strings you can have, yes. um, and the moderator, which is a cloth sort of inserted between the hammers and strings, which gives a muted effect. 
And again, the, the soft pedal and sustaining pedals, they're quite different as well because the sustaining pedal now, you know, you can instantly hear that and it makes a much more resonant sound. And you probably wouldn't want that for Schubert or Beethoven at all. You want a much lighter effect. Mm. And it really does bring into sharp focus um, Alfred Brendel's commentary that, that Beethoven was composer, uh, was like an architect as a composer, yet Schubert was a sleepwalker. And his music does seem to be slightly more soft-focused. And when you hear it on this instrument, it all seems to make sense. This music sort of drifts along and you get the odd moments of drama. But but really, particularly in the final sonata, the B-flat 960, which I think we're going to hear an extract from next, you really get a sense of this being very a very introspective, very personal yes. sonata. And absolutely, the extract we're going to hear is from the um, Andante Sostenuto, which is really one of his great slow movements. And the the whole piece is in, in B-flat major, and then he chooses for this movement to go into the completely remote key of C-sharp minor, which, it, you know, it's very alien, and there is this feeling in which time seems to be suspended and you're isolated and alienated somehow. Um, and actually, the way that he that Schiff plays it, it's all very almost metronomic, really adds the tension of it. Um, I think it's... As you say, there's this real feeling of desolation. that extract, the Andante Sostenuto from the Sonata in B-flat 960, I think really goes to show just how much of a um, a brother to the harpsichord this instrument is. You really get a sense of almost the hammer plucking the strings. It's almost guitar-like in its sound, much more gentle, much more sort of, uh, I suppose, salon-like, uh, intimate. When I was listening to this, actually, it just not to sound really pretentious, but, what, you know, John Cage had this idea in 4 minutes 33 of, of silence to get people to listen and to be aware of the sounds that are around you. And when you're listening to this, you get that sense because you become very aware of, you can hear all the different sounds the instrument's making and you really tune into all the different gradations of tone. Um, it's a sort of fascinating listening experience as well as a musical experience. I agree. I think Schubert is just as much about the silence as it is about the sounds. And you can't get that as well... Um, sort of delineated, if you like, with with a modern grand as you can with this beautiful smaller instrument. Mm. So I think we're going to hear an extract now from one of the um, Moments Musicaux um, on disc one. Yes, we're going to hear the fourth Moments Musicaux, the Moderato in C-sharp minor. Uh, perhaps to just quickly say a word about the, the programming of the two discs before we, before we hear it. Uh, so it's a two-CD set, and on, on both of them you get um, uh, one of the late sonatas and then a group of uh, pieces like the Moment Musico and all the impromptus and then a short sort of standalone piece as well so it's kind of like two recitals in its own you could listen to either disc and be quite happy quite happy to um, and I thought we'd just listen to this this Moment Musico written in 1827 um, somehow quintessentially Schubertian and, and beautifully played
I love the impishness of that um, sound, really. The fact that it's slightly more sort of clockwork and more mechanical. And that's the effect, presumably, that Schubert is trying to achieve. I imagine so. I mean, these are the the, the sonatas. Are, these late sonatas are fascinating works because, um, well, the B, the B flat was his final piano sonata, but written in, in 1828. But he it wasn't published until sort of 10, 11 years later. So these works now we think of them as some of the greatest piano pieces to be written. But actually, they weren't. You know, they weren't heard in his lifetime. The sonata in G was published. Um, it was his last published work. Um, so it's sort of interesting as well how much they've changed in public perception over mm, the years. Definitely. I think we should talk about Schiff's playing because he clearly is, has immersed himself in this. I mean, he, he does talk about when one is playing these pianos that it's very difficult um, to, 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 to strike the balance between caution and brutality, between the idea of playing and tickling literally tickling the ivories um, and bashing them to death. I mean, students, today I've heard horror stories of students actually ruining pianos these days because they're trying to play them too loudly. So actually going back to an age where one caressed an instrument uh, he and would, actually played an instrument rather than hitting an instrument is, it, is beautiful to hear, I think. Uh, yes, and he kind of talks about that a bit in, in the interview, and you can read more of that in, in the magazine, um, that actually... There's this appetite now for louder, faster, more brilliant, and you need big pianos that are going to cut through. Um, but actually, maybe we could take a step back and, you know, think that actually quiet, quietness and being gentle, that they're virtues. <laughs> um, and actually, I think this is, you know, he's finding the right instrument for each composer. So he wants to go on and play Chopin on a Pleil. He wants to play Debussy on a Blutner piano, Bartok on a, a, a Bosendorfer. Um, so he, it's very much finding the, the, the sort of marriage between the music and the instrument. Mm. And actually recording these on ECM means that you get superlative recording uh, standards, and which is so important, Wonderful. really. I mean, you have to get the intimacy uh, coupled with a sense of space. You know, you have to get the right balance it's in all, order for this instrument to sing out. Exactly. It's all part of the package, isn't it? You can't just have the instrument and say, well, that's fine. You've got to think about the sources, the repeats of the, the music that you're playing, the, and as they say, all the, the acoustical... I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I mean, should you hear the mechanics of the piano, or should you hear much more of the sort of the ambience of it? You know, it's again, it's 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 like recording any old instrument with a lot of stuff going on. You know, modern pianos, you don't hear the action because it's so smooth and so developed. And of course, here you do. You hear the the physical action of the key yeah. operating the hammer, coming up, hitting the string. You know, should you record that? Well, maybe a bit, but. Yeah, I think ECM as well is a, the wonderful record label to do this on because they it's such a collaborative approach, I think, and such sort of attention to de every single detail. Um, it's a great partnership. So that brings us to the end of uh, our discussion of the July issues recording of the month. Join us next month when we'll be discussing the August issues recording of the month. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.